This season of Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and service provider with the drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. At Valcom, you get much more than just a dedicated IT retailer. They actually become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and productive. Check them out, vlcmtech.com, to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcmtech.com. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support. Welcome into another episode of Cyber 24. I'm your host, Marty Carpenter, joined today by Dan Schuyler from Valcom. Dan, thanks for being here. Thanks, Marty, for having me. 38% of businesses say poor cybersecurity has lost them business. Two out of five businesses say, because we've been bad at this, we've lost money. And I think more than anything, that would grab a CEO's attention and say, if we're not good at this, it does have a direct correlation to our overall performance financially. Well, first, I think... Some of these figures are probably underreported. We don't like to, we don't like to air our dirty yeah. laundry and our warts. And so, thirty-eight percent, I'd say it's probably a little bit higher than yeah. that. And I can say that from experience, um, talking to businesses and companies about their cybersecurity posture. One of the sobering statistics that I read was that four out of the top five lack context and paint an incomplete picture of their security performance. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's generally true. I think a lot of companies put technology before strategy. And what I mean by that, instead of developing a cybersecurity strategy that is focused on protecting their data, that's focused on protecting their mission statement, and that's focused on the business processes of their business, they focus on the technology and, and they, they grab on to the most, the newest technology, whether it's email security, whether it's endpoint security, whether it's vulnerability management, without developing a strategy first. And we see that time and time again. The takeaway for me is the technologies are great, but there's a specific technology that's going to be unique to your needs. And if you haven't developed a strategy first, if you haven't assessed your current security posture first, and all you do is go grab a piece of technology, more likely than not, you're going to do a disservice to your organization because either you haven't picked the right technology, you don't know how to implement that technology correctly because you don't have the right strategy. My advice is you need to develop a cybersecurity strategy. You have to have transparency and insight into your security posture before you ever consider the technologies that you need to secure your organization. 
Where do you see in your experience the breakdown coming? And this without outing anyone specifically, but I'm thinking, all right, you've got the CEO or the COO of the organization, and maybe you have in some organizations a chief security officer, or chief security information officer, whoever that may be. Or maybe it's just sort of we've, we're a smaller organization. We've got a head of IT, but it's not necessarily a C-suite position, and the CEO and COO handle it. Is the breakdown more often that that the security team is trying to uh, respond or, or at least show that they're that that they're doing something to help, or is it is the breakdown more often with the CEO or COO just saying we just need to address cybersecurity? What is it that you need um, without asking the right kind of questions? Where where does the breakdown come? And maybe it's in both. So I think there's a multitude of factors at play here, and we'll start from the top down. So if we look at the C-suite, in the past, the, suite, the C-suite has sort of been isolated uh, or siloed from the security team or the IT yeah. team. They and think, let the IT guy handle it, give him what he needs, and that's it. Or hopefully they get what they need. That, yeah. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. So there has been that isolation or that silo, that silo, siloing, if you will, um, but I think we're seeing those barriers break down. Um, I think we're seeing a lot more participation with the uh, CISO and the chief information officer and the C-suite than we have in the past. So that's that's a good trend. I think the other part, and we've talked about the other component that's playing into this, and we've talked about this num- numerous times, is the lack of, of security talent or security subject matter expertise that's out there that an organization can hire to look at their gaps and vulnerabilities and help develop that strategy that we talked about that will lead to picking and implementing the right technologies. And that, unfortunately, is something that's not, is a obstacle that's not going to be easily overcome because that gap is huge and all these companies are starving for that talent and trying to find that talent, steal that talent, if you will. Um, and so I think that's a component uh, as well. And the other thing, uh, the other component is there are numerous technologies out there in the different spaces, whether it's endpoint security, email security, vulnerability management, configuration management. And even if you have a good team, a good IT security team, they they have to know these technologies and these technologies are changing on a almost weekly, monthly basis. So not only do you need to f- be able to find the talent to help you implement a good security strategy, but that talent also has to have the time to devote to understanding the technologies that are out there uh, in in order to develop that strategy and implement those technologies. So there's a there's a lot of a lot of things going on, and then of course you can throw budgets in there as well. Yeah. You'll hear it all the time from IT shops. We're not a revenue generating component of this organization. <laughs> and for the most part, that's true, but I would make the argument that they are a money saving organization because they're going to keep you safe, keep you from getting breached, and you won't have the financial liability of getting breached. So they may not be generating you money, but the, but in the long run, they're going to be saving you money. And so I think that's also a component as well. So there's a, there are a lot of things going on there. I never actually considered one thing that you mentioned in, in that response. Uh, that when we talk about resources being devoted to your security team or your IT team, uh, I always have thought of that as, do you give them enough money to buy the things they need? And you mentioned it as time. And do you see that as an area where where IT teams, personnel, are stretched 
thin and can't sort of keep up on the trends like they need to. Absolutely. And I mean, I I find myself trying to carve out time to keep up on top of technologies right. as well as doing uh, – as well as focusing on my own responsibilities to, to Valcom and to my clients. And I can only imagine that that's a similar situation that organizations are in. But I think I think if you can – uh, make it a goal, make it an objective of your IT team, your IT security team, uh, to carve out that time to stay on top of and in tune with the the technologies and the changing landscape. I think you can you can overcome some of those barriers. Yeah. So if we've got uh, a C-suite person, a business leader listening, and they're thinking, okay, what should I do to start? How do and they're going to have some measures in place at, at this point. What, what's the best way they can sort of take a self-assessment and say, where am I really? Where, what questions would you like them to ask themselves? So there needs to be a clear two-way street line of communication between your IT security team and the C-suite. Um, the C-suite is ultimately responsible for your IT security strategy anyway. And so they need to be, they need to be collaborating with your IT security team to develop that strategy. Um, uh, so that's that's step number one. Uh, step number two is ensuring that, th- that your IT security team um, has the resources uh, and has the time um, to do an assessment of the organization's security posture. A lot of organizations don't have the subject matter expertise or the resources to do that. And we'll outsource that to another organization. But I think that is a key component is first understanding what your gaps and vulnerabilities are and establishing a baseline so you can you can fill in those gaps and vulnerabilities yeah. with the right strategy, the right technology, the right policy or procedure. Because, again, it's not all about technology. It's about strategy. It's about policies and procedures. And so that's, that is a key component, yeah. understanding – what your baseline is, understanding what your gaps and vulnerabilities are before you start looking at technologies. And that would be, that would yeah. be my, my recommendation. So those assessments, just sort of the, the introspective look, the investigation to where are we and what could we do better and what are we doing that's right, um, those can take some real time. I was at an event just last week where uh, uh, a man who was uh, you know, the head of – or had a fairly senior position on the IT team at his – within his organization, had been tasked with sort of assessing where they were in in respect to some particular element of their security. And he said, you know, we're supposed to, by by regulation, we're supposed to uh, do like an annual assessment of this. He said, but it takes 14 months with the resources I've been given to do the assessment. So every year I'm two months behind before I can finish and start again through the whole process. And that's that's just the assessment part, not even implementing. So I, I wonder if there's a real that, – that came as a surprise to me you know, because I, I, I fall probably more on the side of like the executive that may understand that this is an important issue than I do to the technical side of how to actually go make these types of assessments. And do you think that – do you get the sense that most people in that – in the C-suite would be – uh, surprised at how long it can take to do sort of a thorough assessment and, and understand where you are? Uh, no, and I, I say that from experience when <clears throat> I perform assessments for our, our clients. Depending on the size of the organization, it can take anywhere from uh, one to one day to a week to actually complete the assessment. And yeah. then 
uh, a couple of weeks to generate the report, yeah. provide them with the recommendations, what their gaps and vulnerabilities are and their risk. So you're talking about a month's worth of, of time. So for an organization that has to rely on its own internal resources to do yeah. that assessment, um, taking you know three, four, five, six months to do that assessment is probably not too surprising because yeah. you're 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 trying to squeeze that in uh, with all the other responsibilities yeah. that the security team has to deal with. I have noticed this on some of the uh, breach situations that I've worked on from a communication standpoint, that when an incident has occurred and all of a sudden it's time to go back and now you're dealing with regulators and all the legalities of what happened and sorting that out, uh, obviously you're in a better position if you can say, these are our written policies and procedures, this is what we've done, and we've been very thorough on it. If you're a business right now that may not be graded out as thorough, you know, let's say you're a C minus, D plus when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, still there's a benefit to, there's a benefit even if you have an incident to saying, we recognize that we weren't good at it here, we started to do our assessment, and then something happened while we were trying to get better. No, I guess the point being, no matter where you are in the process, or if you've sort of neglected this over the past few years, it's still to your benefit to start today and start with that type of assessment of saying, where are we? What can we do better? What are we doing well enough? And where do we need to put the resources? Absolutely. I think, as we've I've mentioned before, a proactive approach is much better than a reactive approach for a variety of reasons. One of those being from an audit and compliance perspective. I think anytime you are um, subject to an audit or a uh, compliance assessment, uh, being proactive is going to look much favorably than being reactive would be. So yes, being taking a proactive approach is, is definitely better than being reactive. Interesting conversation to have and one that I think all business leaders should be ready to have. Um, Again, we, we started this whole podcast with the premise that it's a scary subject for people who aren't coders, aren't techie, aren't IT savvy, who think, well, I can use my iPhone and my laptop and I'm pretty good there. That's great. That may be all you actually ever need to do. But if you're in those positions, whether you're a board member or a C-suite member, you need to be asking these questions of the people who actually do know and learning enough to be able to sort of understand, here's where we are. Show me what grade we're at. G give me a rating now, and how do we improve that? And having all of that just at the forefront of your strategy makes such a big difference, not only in your performance and your ability to, to protect your, your brand reputation, uh, but it also makes a, a significant difference if there is an issue. And that's something all business leaders, I think, uh, should keep in mind. Absolutely. We're, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about one of the things that businesses can do uh, very inexpensively and should be doing, and that's training their employees. Uh, back with more on the Cyber 24 podcast right after this. You know, I've yet to meet an IT professional who loves waiting hour upon hour to diagnose the problem with your server. They just don't care for it. The good news is they don't have to. Hewlett Packard Enterprises' new info site for servers provides continuous proactive health monitoring and recording for thousands of system parameters 24-7 right on the server. InfoSight then derives insights from the behaviors of the install base to provide recommendations to resolve problems and improve performance. It learns as it goes. Let Valcom help you not only save time, but also your sanity by visiting vlcmtech.com servers. That's vlcmtech.com servers. Do you ever wonder what you would do with $12 billion? Well, that's the amount of money that business email compromising has cost businesses 
In just the last five years, Barracuda Sentinel detects threats that traditional email security systems can't. It integrates directly with Microsoft Office 365 APIs to detect attacks coming from both internal and external sources. It uses artificial intelligence to detect signs of malicious intent and deception within every email with virtually no IT administration required. Check out vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel to find out how you can save your company from a hacker's $12 billion business. That's vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel, B-A-R-R-A-C-U-D-A hyphen S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L for more information. Check it out today. All right, welcome back to the Cyber24 Podcast. Marty Carpenter, Dan Schuyler from Valcom. Uh, Dan, uh, another one of these things that pops up that uh, just just the headline alone sort of made me shake my head. The headline on this story I wanted to bring up and talk about, fewer than one-third of employees receive annual cyber training. Uh, hidden in that headline, I love headlines, by the way. I uh, When I have done communication work for the governor and others, headlines are just a fascinating topic because they just have to say enough and they just have to not be false, right? They have to be just accurate enough to catch your eye. There's a very sort of low bar and there's a real trick to writing them. But this one jumped out at me, mostly, you know, a trained headline reader saying, uh, okay, they're drawing attention to the one third of employees don't receive training. And that's, that's bad. But that one word annual jumps out at me and I say, annual cyber training doesn't seem to be sufficient anyway. So let's talk about two two parts of this where where people fall short, where businesses fall short. One, they're they're not training enough, not enough businesses are training their employees. One out of three businesses are doing a good enough job. Uh, or, you know, one third of all employees. Uh, but then only annually. <laughs> so you're a you're a cybersecurity solutions architect. You look at that and say a total failure uh, or better than you would have expected. Uh, a total failure. Um, fewer than one third. I'm, I'm not surprised by that. I've, I've seen this statistic numerous times. <laughs> disappointed, but not surprised. Disapp- I like that kind of, yeah, well, you know. Yeah, disappointed, but not <laughs> the, surprised. This, this whole thing is slowly beating the optimism out of you. <laughs> and, and the reason for that is because this is such low-hanging fruit. It, it really is. Cybersecurity training or cybersecurity awareness training is an inexpensive investment with a high return on your investment. Now, I, I predicate that by saying it all depends on the training that you're doing. There's good training yeah. and there's bad training. Yeah. Uh, and you'll see uh, statistics out there that say, you know, training's good, training's bad, training gives you good results, it doesn't give you any results. It it all goes back to the type of training that you are doing yeah. for your employees. Uh, do it annually at the very minimum. Um, I would recommend biannually and uh, doing some security awareness training in between, whether it's a phishing simulation, whether it's sending them out to an interactive website just to refresh their memory. Um, there's a multitude of different options out there. But I would I would increase the frequency. Um, and doing it annually to me does not seem uh, as frequent as it should yeah. be for a variety of reasons. One, we've talked about this before, the, the attack vectors are changing, the types of um, phishing emails that uh, hackers are using are evolving on a monthly basis. And so if you wait annually, you're, you're going to be opening yourself up to uh, potential vulnerabilities that you didn't address. Um, 
Maybe okay. maybe we'll just walk us through some of the types of real basic training that you would recommend. I mean, you mentioned a couple there, but uh, just wh- where would you start? If you're saying, hey, you know what? I run a business and we do this once a year. That should be enough. You're saying it's not enough. All right, what should I do more frequently? So you want to – I always recommend doing in-person training as your annual training because you have a lot more engagement with your employees. Now, there's great online training. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great solutions out there. But those trainings don't engage the employee as much as in-person training because you're one-on-one with the, the trainer or the instructor. The students can ask questions immediately. You can share stories that really resonate and drive the mission of the security awareness training home. So there's a, a variety of reasons, a variety of really good reasons why in-person uh, cybersecurity awareness training is far more effective than uh, online training. And you want to make that training really interactive, really engaged. You want to engage the the class, the employees when you're doing the training. And you want to follow up the training with a really fun and interactive quiz where uh, you can award them a prize or a gift certificate, something that keeps them engaged uh, and retains that information that they're give, getting. But during that, that annual training period, you can definitely do some refresher refreshment training online. There's a variety of, of uh, solutions out there. No Before is one of them. A lot of the endpoint security uh, vendors provide security awareness training as a component of their solution. And so I would recommend doing that on a quarterly basis. And then sprinkling in there um, phishing simulations. Do it at least, I would say, quarterly. And depending on the success rate of those phishing simulations, will determine how frequently you need to do them. If you're getting a lot of failures, then you probably need to increase the frequency. But certainly if if uh, you're doing those phishing simulations and your uh, employees are smart enough not to click on, the, click on those links, then you can extend the time frame on doing those simulations because you don't want to do them too much. It's like the boy who crawled, cried wolf syndrome. Sure. Uh, but you want to do them on a frequency that really has an impact. Are there ways that you can supplement those trainings? So let's say twice a year, you're going to have some kind of actual training. You're going to sit down, you're going to go through it. Maybe other points of the year, you're sending out um, sort of phishing emails, trying to see who's who's falling for it, and then giving them some additional training or, or at least letting them know that something can happen. Is there value to, to just sort of providing throughout the year? I, I'm thinking as part of your overall cybersecurity posture that, hey, we had this training, say, in January. And then in Every month after that, if there's an employee newsletter or some kind of email blast or internal communication where you can say, here's a little cybersecurity safety reminder, and it's one element of that training, something that you can sort of follow up, does that have a benefit overall to sort of support the training that you have? Absolutely. I think the safety reminders, the advice, the recommendations in a monthly newsletter are definitely a benefit because it, it – you know, it keeps your employees engaged. It, it reminds them that, yes, I need to be vigilant. Um, unlike doing multiple phishing simulations, which could have a negative effect, you know, keeping your employees aware through the tips, recommendations, suggestions, stories, if you will, is, is definitely uh, something that would have a positive impact. Yeah. One uh, interesting element uh, about this particular uh, study, <laughs> and I think this might surprise a lot of people, uh, it says – a consistently larger portion of older respondents, uh, older employees, uh, use better cyber practices than younger employees do. Does that surprise you at all? Because I think that the default would be younger people, a little more uh, t- 
technology, a little more adept at using technology, a little more native to them, that they would be better at this. But this says, no, it's the older employees who are actually better at this. Why do you think that would be? I, th- I think it does, and it doesn't surprise me. Um, I think, Marty, you and I, as part of that older generation, are— <laughs> Am I, though? <laughs> Am I? Jeez. Are more responsible. I think I think there's a lot of components at play here. Uh, the, certainly, younger individuals are more tech-savvy when it comes to social engineering, but I think uh, the older generation uh, has more experience or has— been subject to or has seen uh, more incidents where there has been a breach or a phishing incident, and so they have they have that history of uh, to fall back on, if you will. So I think there's a couple things at play here, but um, I th- again, overall, I think it's it's really driving the message home to the entire employee base that they are the last line of defense, and that they are uh, they are part of your overall. Um, security posture. Yeah. So one of the reasons I like the the sort of the internal phishing tests, because people who may think that they would never fall for this and sort of could be dismissive of a training, if they show up to a training or they've been alerted, hey, we got you on this one. Here's what we just want to make sure you understand that that's, I I think it's eye-opening for a lot of employees uh, because it's a little embarrassing to get caught. Even if you get caught in sort of a Best case scenario, a, 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 where it's your employer instead of actually someone trying to do damage, uh, it just it just seems like those are relatively minor investments in employee training and a way to kind of open everyone's eyes. Absolutely, and one of the things that I do and I recommend for the clients that I provide security awareness training for is to do a phishing simulation prior to that training, and then then I share those statistics. Yeah with the employees during the training. We don't call out any employees. We just, yeah. we say 25% opened the phishing email. Yeah. We, we go through that phishing email, we di- dissect it, and we look for the key indicators for why it was a phishing email. Yeah. And so having, having that phishing simulation prior to the training uh, is a great tool and a great exercise to review with your employees. Well, if only one-third of employees are receiving insufficient annual training or training that's that's already insufficient uh, for the number of times or frequency throughout the year that they're doing it, uh, clearly businesses can do a better job. And it's really – this doesn't really involve buying a lot of fancy software. This is just starting to set up that culture of we all have to protect our data. Yeah. It's right. an inexpensive investment with uh, with a high ROI. Yeah. Uh, That'll wrap up for us this week. Dan, thanks so much for being here. Marty, thank you again. I appreciate it. All right, that's it for this episode. Final thanks to our presenting partners at Valcom for all of their support. I'd also like to thank our supporting partners who contribute to this program throughout the season. The Utah Department of Public Safety, University of Utah's Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, our friends at Secuvant, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. Until next episode, I'm Marty Carpenter.